All right, so it's really good to see you guys. For all of us, any of you that we haven't met, my name is Ronnie, uh, and uh, it is a privilege and a joy. I get to come here every second Friday of the month, and this is the second Friday of the month, so I get to see you guys. I'm going to go ahead and pass out tonight's syllabus or what we're going to talk about tonight. It's two pages, so get grab two pages and then pass it on to the next person. Um, last time we were together, I do want to kind of go over a couple of things that we talked about last time we were together. We, we finished up talking about the creation. If y'all remember, we talked about God's creation and how God created everything. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all played a part in the creation. One God, three persons, and they helped. They, they are the cause of all of creation. We talked about how that um, many of the heresies that we have to deal with in the church today come from a conflation of the Creator and the creation. We, we tend to start worshiping the creation instead of the Creator. And what is that word called when we worship the creation instead of the Creator? Uh, Hint, it's the first commandment. Idolatry, that's exactly right. To worship anything in the creation over the Creator, well, it'll destroy you. Because God is the source of life, and if you go to worshiping the creation instead of the Creator, then you are turning your back on the source of life and focusing on life instead of the source. And so God is the source of all life. And so for all of us in this room, every one of us here have had our struggles with chemical dependence. And I want to just go ahead and I'm just going to be basically blunt with you. You are When you are struggling in, in addiction, you are worshiping a false god. Whether you want to admit it or not. What you are doing is you are looking to something in the creation to provide for you the things that only the Creator can. Hope, joy, peace, stability, assurance, uh, happiness, joy, etc., etc. So you see what happens. You turn your back on the Creator and you begin to worship the creation. And you will literally wind up on your knees worshiping this false god. Every one of us in this room probably has. And so I I don't want to make light of it because idolatry is uh, the first commandment for a reason. Uh, we are known to worship no one else but God Himself. And so we talked about the creation. And <clears throat> one of the things that we got into the last time we were together, um, so as we talked about creation, we started getting into a lot of questions about science. And remember we talked about evolution, and we talked about um, dinosaurs, and we talked about Cro-Magnon men and, and, how, and all these different things. And so one of the things that you're wrestling with when you ask about those kind of things uh, is you're trying to base your faith on human knowledge. Now, remember, all truth is God's truth. So if it is really true, it comes from God. Our problem is, is that our science does the same thing that we do. It turns away from the creation, creator, and focuses on the creation. And that's when it gets skewed. Yes, ma'am. John, are you just stretching back there, John? Oh, you're just stretching. All right. So we talked, and, and so one of the, the underlying themes at the end of our lesson w- was this, well, I just need to know, I need to see it by science, I need to prove it. And the reality is you can't prove the resurrection from the dead with science. There's never going to be a test for that. You can't prove a man living in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights or surviving in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. You can't prove a six-day creation. You can't prove a, a, a flood where all of the world was destroyed except uh, 
you know, eight people. You can't prove those things with your natural mind. As hard as we try, we can't. And so what happens? We have to take it by faith. You see? But faith, and then we got into talking about faith and believing that I'm going to be healed and things like this. And the reality is, your faith is no good unless it's based on truth. Do you all remember the woman that had the issue of blood? And when Jesus, she touched Jesus' hem of His garment, she was healed, remember? And what did Jesus say to her? Your faith has made you whole. But remember, it's not her faith, but who her faith is in that healed her. Because somebody right up here, if we just had the faith of a mustard seed, right? Somebody, if we just had the faith of a mustard seed. But even if I have the faith of a mustard seed and something that's false, it's going to drop me on my head and leave me in despair. My faith has to be in something that is true or it's no good. And that's where each and every one of you in this room are going to have to come to the realization that God's Word is God's Word. Right? Let's turn really quickly and turn with me to 2 Timothy. Okay, go ahead while we're turning there. Second Timothy. Like Brad kind of helped me out the other day. He was in here talking about a fact is something that so many people can attest to or claim or whatever that makes a fact. And like he was talking about how the Bible, I don't really know how to say it, but he was saying that you know everything in the Bible has. At least eight or more witnesses or something like that. So you can put these, well, John tells us that. In, in the book of John, John chapter 20, verse 31, it says this. It says, These things have been written so that you might know that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing on Him you can have eternal life in His name. Yeah, the, 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 the Scriptures themselves attest to who Jesus is. They tell us who He is. And salvation comes by faith. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So yes, these people did see, they did witness, that's what the apostles did. They wrote yeah. down, and, and Jesus actually prayed for them in John chapter 17 and said, Pres- preserve them and help them to be able to, to share the truth so that others can know you uh, through their testimony. And so, uh, when it comes to faith though, there's, there's two different types of faith, or there's two different types of approaches that you can take to reaching someone for God. One type is, uh, is called evidential apologetics. Apologetics means you're proclaiming the truth. You're, you're, you're proclaiming what is true in order that they might believe. And so these apologetics based on uh, evidence would be somebody giving you scientific proof that it's true. So if we were to find Jesus's uh, the turn that he was buried in. You remember the shroud of turn they had it and it had blood all over it. That's supposed to be Jesus if they were going to do DNA and figure out if it's his. Um, or uh, maybe Noah's Ark. They On Mount Ararat they found something that looks like a big boat up there. Uh, in the Red Sea there are actually a bunch of chariots down in the bottom of the Red Sea and like they found them. So that would be evidence. So when you're using evidence to prove to somebody that God is true... You're trying to convince them that of the truth. And you're using evidence to do it. Now, the reality is this. Every one of us in this room, in our natural mind, want evidence. Show me and I'll believe you. You show me and I'll believe you. But as you read Scripture, this is what you're going to find. Jesus says, no. 
You believe me and I'll show you. It's complete. See, God and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God work in a totally opposite way of the natural mind. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells that. He said the natural man is uh, cannot even uh, relate to the things of God. They're foolishness to him and he can't understand them. Right? If you any of you got some lost family or loved one and you're trying to explain to them what's going on in your life right now, it sounds like you, oh, they've gone into one of them wackadoo cults now. You know, that's what they hear. Because it doesn't make sense. The gospel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the ascension of Christ, him sitting on the throne and ruling and reigning right now in heaven does not make sense to the natural man. He'll be happy to trust in Trump or Biden or the Washington or he'll be happy to trust in uh, the the current medical conditions of the world but when you talk about some man Jesus the Savior sitting on a throne and ruling and reigning right now that's stupid to him it doesn't make any sense and the Bible to the natural man does not make sense so a lot of people approach sharing the gospel with others in a in a way of presenting evidence I'm going to prove to you that Jesus is real right but what did Paul say? The natural man does not receive the things of God. They're foolish to him. So when you read the Bible, what you'll find is this. No matter how much proof Jesus gave to the non-believers, no matter how much proof he gave them, as soon as he would do a miracle, you know what they say? Show us something else. And what did Jesus say? Remember when he fed the 5,000 with the bread and the fish? What did he say? They came back to him in John 6, and this is what he said. You didn't come to me because you believe in me. You come to me because I filled your belly with bread and fish. You came to me with a natural hunger. You wasn't hungering after the truth and the things of God. You were coming for fish and bread. You were thinking in your, your physical nature. And no matter what Jesus did, he went to the Scriptures and showed how he was the prophesied Messiah. And showed the very scholars and the, the minds of that, the religious minds of that day that he was, uh, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He said, I am the good shepherd. Psalm 23 is about me, guys. And they didn't believe it. Why? Because they were in their natural mind. And the things of God did not make sense to them. So, the problem with evidential apologetics or trying to reach somebody by giving them evidence is that their heart is so wicked and their heart is so turned against God and His truth that no matter what you show them, they will not believe. Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it back up again. Well, what was He talking about? What did they say? It took us 40 years to build this temple and now you're going to raise it up in three days? What's the problem? He was talking about His body and where were their minds on a physical building all right now watch what's really cool about that after he died he did raise again three days just like he said he was going to but you know what the only people that he showed himself to after the resurrection were the ones that believed him before he died that was what makes jesus different than me and you because if it had been me resurrected from the dead the first place i'd have went i'd have kicked in Harris temple doors and walked in like you know, like WWE wrestling entrance, you know. I told you you couldn't kill me, you know, that kind of thing. Jesus didn't do that. The only people that he came to was the believers. So Jesus kept telling them over and over again, believe me, believe me, believe me, believe me. And some did, and some didn't. But the only evidence, well, Jesus did give them evidence. He gave them miracles. 
And for the believers, that confirmed their faith. They were already following Him because they believed Him. They would have believed Him no matter if He had shown them a miracle or not. But they got to see the miracles and they appreciated the miracles because they already had faith in Him. With the woman, with the issue of blood, this is what it says. You can go back and read it on your own. But what it says is she heard about Jesus and she went and found Him. So what happened? Salvation comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. She was already a believer before she ever got to Him. Her reaching out and touching His garment was an expression of her faith. If I could only touch Him. And her faith yielded in healing. But it was because her faith was in Jesus. It was because her faith was in the healer. If she'd have grabbed Peter's robe, it wouldn't have healed her. Now later on, Peter and them had actually had the power to heal too, didn't they? But the truth of the matter is, my faith has to be in something that is true. And one of our problems as natural people is we want to prove to other people that it's true. But I promise you this. If you can prove to somebody that it's true by using evidence, there's somebody else that can use evidence to prove that you're lying. You see? So look with me, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 and 17. Or actually, we'll start in verse 14. So Paul is talking to Timothy. We're, we're never going to get on our lesson tonight, by the way. We're, we're already down a rabbit hole but this is okay this is good we need to talk about this looking on verse uh, 14 before we do that let's pray because we I don't think we've prayed yet most gracious heavenly father it is truly a privilege and a joy to talk about you and talk about your son Jesus and talk about you Holy Spirit and we thank you for your word and your truth and we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to come together and to study it And Lord, there are many in this room that have embraced your truth, or better yet, your truth has embraced them. And there may be some here today, Lord, who are doubting your truth. My prayer is that your word uh, will do as it promises, that it will not come back void, that it will uh, uh, help us and assure us in our faith, help us to trust you more, and give us the hope and peace that this world simply cannot give us. So be with us now in this time of study. Guide our minds, our hearts, our thoughts, and our words, and our actions. And help us, Lord, to embrace your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in verse 14, Paul is, is encouraging Timothy, and this is what he says. You, however, continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of. Alright, so he's a believer, right? Knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from your childhood you have known the what? Sacred writings or this Holy Scripture. Sacred writings. And which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Alright, so just a couple of notes there. Timothy has known these words since his childhood. We found out earlier that his grandmother Eunice and, uh, had raised him up in, in the Scriptures and taught him the truth. So he knew the truth. Now remember, when Paul is writing this, there's not a whole lot of... It's not like he can say, turn to John 3.16 and, and see God so loved the world because John, the book of John hadn't been written. This was going on before all of the New Testament was written. So what is Paul telling Timothy? You know the Scriptures. And see, the Old Testament is just as much of the Bible as the New Testament. And Paul went around and preached the gospel out of the Old Testament. 
Think about that now. The, the, the New Testament was not written yet. So when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, when you read those books, they were written at a time when they didn't have the other many of the other books on hand. There were some of them around. Uh, but the point being is, you can go to the Old Testament and to the Scriptures and know Jesus just as good as you can in the New Testament. Uh, and, and so what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do is to study the Scriptures. And look what he says in verse 16. How much? How did, what's the first word in that 16? All. Alright, what does that mean? Genesis to Revelation. Alright? Even Ecclesiastes and even those little prophets that you can't find when the uh, teacher tells you to turn there. That's a part of the Scriptures too. Okay? And it's all truth about Jesus. And what does he say? All Scripture is inspired, breathed out. And when you think of, in, you are my inspiration, you are the breath that gives me life. All right, That's what we're talking about there. So the very words that you are reading are literally breathed out by God. Remember in the garden when Adam was clay? What did the Spirit have to do? Breathe, <sighs> breathe life into his nostrils. And you and I, as fallen human beings, lost in sin and under the curse, were dead in our trespass and sin, walking according to the course of this world, walking according to the prince of power, the spirit of the air that's now working in the sons of disobedience. We were dead. We were like Lazarus. By this time, he stinketh. Right? Our lives stinketh, didn't they? Right? But what did God do? God breathed life. He breathed life into us and said, come forth. Just like he did Lazarus. It's amazing to think about. But it takes God breathing that life into us. And the way that that works is through the Holy Spirit. But remember, the Holy Spirit never, ever, ever, ever works apart from His Word. Never. The Holy Spirit never works apart from His Word. And He always points us to Jesus. So when you see people flocking out of a church at the end of a service and say, Boy, no, Spirit was really moving today. Boy, I feel Him all over. Is that pointing to Christ? No, that's pointing to your feelings and your emotions. Be careful with that kind of stuff, guys. The Holy Spirit always points us to Christ and He always points us to His Word. And that's how He works every time. This is what we have. And you either believe it or you don't. And the more you believe it, the more you'll see it's true. The more you reject it, the more you will, your heart will become hard. We'll see that later. But look what he says. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. For what? Teaching. That's what we're doing tonight. How about this one? This is one we don't like. Reproof. Right? Reproof. What does it mean to reproof? Reprove somebody. Yeah. You're screwing up. All right? So it's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for rebuke. We don't like that. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Right? Now, there is nothing comfortable about a rod. But whom he loves, he chases. And so when the back of my legs are on fire, I know my father loves me. Right? But how does he correct me? He corrects me through His Word. 
He don't stand and browbeat me down with a bunch of opinions and feelings and emotions. He takes His Word and He cuts away that old dead skin off of us and makes us more alive. Alright? So, He says, All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction. Now remember this. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. You can't judge me. I want you to be very careful. If you're ever that person saying it's not your place to judge me, you're right. But make sure that that person is judging you and not warning you. We are not to judge others. I'm not the judge. You're going to stand before Him and answer for every word that you've ever said, every action you've ever had, everything that you've ever done, everything you've ever felt, everything you've ever done, you will stand and answer before your judge one day. I'm not your judge. But, if I see my friend starting to flirt with some girl and getting her number when he's married, and I walk up and say, dude, you got no business doing that. He has no right to say, don't judge me. I'm not judging him. I'm warning him. And if you reject the warnings, be fearful of the judgment. Because God will put people into your life to call you out on how you're living. That's what all the prophets did to Israel. And what was their reaction? Hey, listen to them. But... The Scriptures are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now watch this. So that every man of God, and for you ladies, that includes you, all right? Uh, Every person. Now, part of this, well, maybe I'm not saying that right. Timothy is a pastor. And what he's saying is, Timothy, as a pastor, you will be uh, well-equipped to do what you're called to do. But the Scriptures are profitable. They're inspired by God. They're profitable for teaching, proof, correction, and training in righteousness for all people, man and woman. So that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. How many good works? Every good work. All Scripture, every good work. Right? So where do I need to base my faith? I need to base my faith on the Word of God. Look really quick. Um... Let's turn back a couple pages to the left and let's go to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 24. We will never, ever, ever get to anything in this lesson like so we'll. <clears throat> Luke chapter 24 and let's just, for some context, let's go to verse 22. Luke 24, 22. This is at the grave. This is at the resurrection. This is uh, Resurrection Sunday. Um, Some of the women among us were amazed when they were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the woman said. But him they did not see. Now he said to them, so this is Jesus. This is Jesus talking. This is the, the, the road to Emmaus. So here's what's happened. These two disciples are walking back home. And they're all sad. And they're crying and they're moaning because they put all their hope in this Messiah that was coming to save them and establish a kingdom and help let them rule and reign with Him on high. And all of a sudden, He's died on a cross. The cruelest and most vicious way that anybody in the world could ever die. 
and now he's gone. All that hope, all of our faith, all this stuff we put in him, and now it's just a waste because he's gone. And so they're walking down the road, headed back to their house, and all of a sudden Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, who had been in the grave for three days, who's now alive, walked up with them and started walking with them and walking down the road and talking with them. And so he says this to them. He said to them, Oh, you foolish men, and what? Slow of heart. All right, that, did, that does not mean that they had uh, uh, what, what, uh, hyporrhythmia. Is that, yeah, slow of heartbeat? Yeah. That, that, that's not what it means when it says, Oh, you foolish men, and slow of heart. It's slow of heart to believe. So what happened? Their hearts were clogged up with all kind of unbelief and doubt. See? Why? Do you blame them? No, they just saw their Messiah, their hoped Messiah, die on a cross. Can you understand why they had doubt? Do you have doubts? If you say you don't, you're lying. We all have doubts. But he said, You foolish men, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Right? So, what's their problem? Why do they have doubt? Because they missed the picture. Jesus hung on the cross and said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And what was he doing? He was quoting Psalm 22 while he was hanging on the cross. He was saying, hey guys, that was about me and how I'm going to die on the cross. Nine or eight hundred years before he died, he said they were going to pierce his hands and gamble for his clothes. And that his body was going to be worn and ragged. And he was, his heart was going to be melting like uh, wax. What does that mean that you just said when he said that? Um, it's, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what he screamed on the cross. Yes. He, he yells it in Hebrew on the cross. But what he was doing, he was quoting Psalm 22. His whole life, his earthly ministry was about fulfilling all that the Old Testament said about him. And so if you go back and read Psalm 22, it's about Jesus dying on the cross. What's amazing is that's his great, 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 great granddaddy writing that. And Jesus ain't even born yet. And in complete detail, he said, they pierced my hands. The, the act of crucifixion was, was going to be six or seven hundred years coming. They, they weren't crucifying people yet. And yet, the psalmist said, they pierced my hands. My heart was melting in my chest like wax. My bones were all, you could see all of my bones. And they were gambling for my clothes. And the dogs surrounded me, the bulls of... Bashan encompassed me. And so it's a, it's a prophecy of him looking around at the people around him as he's dying on the cross. And when he hung on the cross, what did he do? He quoted it because he was living it. And so what does he say? You foolish, you, you're so slow at heart to believe all that the Scriptures wrote. All that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into His glory? Alright? Now that's a big... This goes back to our lesson when we were together last time. And we and I got into some people's nerves. I know I did. And I... I well, I didn't mean to. But it wasn't... I wasn't being mean. What I said was... You can't just be going around rebuking folks who are sick and saying God's going to heal you because that's God's business, not yours. You can't run around. When you go running around claiming things, I claim this and I claim that, I claim healing, what you're doing is you're speaking for God. God is the one that determines whether you get healed or not. Alright? Now watch. Watch what he says. He said, Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things? Okay? 
So was it necessary for Jesus to die on the cross? Okay, good. Now what about this in Galatians? This is what Paul said. I am crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does that mean? That means that you are living, as a child of God, as a born-again believer, you are living a crucified life. And the world is going to treat you the same way that it treated Jesus. And so when you trust Christ and you become a believer, when He saves you and gives you a new heart, it's not going to be a yellow brick road and you and Toto are not going to dance back into Kansas. You're going to die. And you're going to suffer. And you're going to see your friends and your family die and suffer. But you have a hope that this world can't take away. And why were they missing the picture? Number one, they forgot the promises of the Scriptures. And number two, they thought that the Messiah was coming to establish a kingdom and put them up and let them rule and reign with Him. And what did ruling and reign look like in Jesus, from Jesus' perspective? Dying. And to me and you in our natural minds, that does not look like ruling and reigning. It simply doesn't. Ruling and reigning looks like I got a bank account full of money. I'm healthy, wealthy, and wise. My kids are good. I got a Hollywood wife. I got three cars in the garage. All my bills are paid, and I take vacations every week. And all of that stuff I put on social media is really how my life is. That's what we think life is about. But this life is about dying. But with the hope of Christ, we live. And as you die to this world, you realize how special the new eternal life is that you have. And so we're not trying to we're not trying to escape the curse. Christ has conquered the curse for us. We're in Christ. We never, ever, ever when when He says He says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." He makes me lie down in the valley. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And we want to live in a world where there's no shadow of death, but I got news for you. I got friends on this board right here, brothers and loved ones that have died. I got family, and, and, and I got friends, and I got people that I love who are dead, but they're alive. And one day I get to see them again. And one day, before I get to see them, I get to thank Jesus for dying to save me. But what he tells these people, he says, you, he says, you are slow of heart. You do not believe. You are caught up in your emotions and your feelings. You're focusing on you. You're focusing on your circumstances. And you're not focusing on the one who is in control of them. That's what he was telling me. Well, our Savior's dead. We have no hope no more. We're back to the grind. Rome's going to beat us down and we're going to be miserable and hungry and tired and sad. But they were more than conquerors in Christ. Now, he chided them, but they are believers. They just are doubting. These are believers. He showed himself to all of the, his, his, the ones that believed him. He's coming back to them and revealing Himself to them to encourage their faith so that they can believe and their faith can be stronger. But what did He point them to? Not just Him, not just a resurrected physical body. That's a big thing. But look what He says in verse 27. Then beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, He explained the things concerning Himself in all of the Scriptures. So what does He do? He points them to the Word. 
Why? Because the Word points to Him. And it's through understanding those promises and understanding how Christ fulfilled them that gives us the faith that we need. And that's what the Holy Spirit always points us to. He always points us to the Word and He always points us to Christ. And if you're not looking that way, you're off point. Okay? So watch what happens. He he goes on down. Uh, He appears to His disciples in the upper room. Look at verse 42. Uh, They gave Him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and He ate it before them. And now He said to them, These are My words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about Me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What did He tell them? All of the things that were written about Me in Moses. Now what books did Moses write? Good. What are they called? Genesis, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you want to impress your friends, it's called the Pentateuch. Five books. Right? And so you say, wait a minute now. How was Jesus written about in the Pentateuch? Well, some of you remember our class. Miss Joan, you remember us going through the book of John and learning about how Jesus was all through the Old Testament? Can somebody give me an example of Jesus in the book of Genesis? One, one example. When he says, I will bruise your heel and never crush your head. Good, good. He told Eve, he said, you've really messed up and now you're going to have bad pains every month and you're going to have to have babies and, and your husband's going to work and sweat till he dies and turns back into the dirt. But he made a promise to Eve, and this is what he said, or to the serpent. He made a promise to the serpent. This is what he said. You tricked her. You deceived her. But one day, that woman is going to have a baby that's going to crush your head. The woman is going to have a baby. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. So, yes, women, it hurts really bad to have babies. That's not fun. And you can rebuke the pain all you want. It's going to be there. And you can pray and ask God to take it away. He's not. Because it's a part of the curse. But look at the blessing that comes from the curse. God has given you ladies a special talent. And that special talent is about the time that baby comes out and is born, you forget all the pain. And all you see is the baby. You see? And the woman was a part of messing up, but God allowed her through His ordained plan to be a part of the solution. How was she a part of the solution? We had a virgin have a baby. And that baby crushed the serpent's head. So all the way back in Genesis, God was already promising that the Savior was going to come. And so what is Jesus saying? All of Moses, all of the prophets, all of the Psalms point to me. So He's constantly pointing the people to the Scriptures. And that doesn't change for me and you today. We have a more, we have a fuller picture now. We have the whole thing. We have everything that we need to know Christ. We have everything that we need to have faith. And so, the reason that we continue to look for proof instead of truth is because something in our mind and something in our, our fallen hearts, our fallen minds, says that this is not enough. Something says, this is not enough. You're going to have to show me more than this book. I can't even, I don't even know the names of these people in these books. And there's all these kings and it. it just don't make sense. Well, it doesn't make sense to the natural mind. But if you turn to Him in faith, 
and you pray like Paul prayed. Look, 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 uh, turn with me really quickly to the book of Ephesians. This is something you should, every, every one of us should pray this all the time. Turn with me to Ephesians uh, in chapter 1. Look what Paul, Paul prays. Paul prays for us. He prays for the people that read his letter. Look in Ephesians verse 15, 16, 17, and 18. Look what he says in 19. This is what he says. For this reason I too have heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, your love for all the saints. Alright? So what did he say? He's writing to the church at Ephesus, and this is what he says. I've heard about Yeah, Ephesians chapter one and verses fifteen through nineteen. We're going to finish up with this. I'm not going to hold you all on. Ephesians fifteen and nineteen. This is what he says. For this reason I too have heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you. And your love for all the saints. Alright, so what is Paul saying? He's saying, hey, church at Ephesus, I've heard that you're believers. I heard you have faith. How did he hear they had faith? Jesus, the Lord Jesus. He said, I I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Alright? So what does it mean? If I really have faith... I'm going to have love for all the saints. If I really believe God, I'm going to love God and love my neighbor. And it's going to come out in my life. So, Paul says that my works do not save me. It's faith that saves me. And faith in Christ that saves me. But if I have saving faith, I will work. My works do not save me. But if it's real faith, it's going to work. See how that works? (laughs) That's kind of silly. But in the book of James, in the book of James, this is what James says. You show me your faith without your words, and I'll show you my faith by my words. And so this is what James was saying. James was saying that a working faith, a, a, a true faith works. And we are not justified by works. We are not declared righteous in front of God by our works. We are declared righteous by believing. By faith, we, we're declared righteous. But, if I truly have been declared righteous by God and I truly have faith, my faith will be justified by my works. My faith will be proven to be a true faith when it works. Alright? So what is Paul saying? I heard about your faith and I know that you have love for one another. I hear about it everywhere. Right? That's a good rumor to be hearing about people is that they love one another and they love God. Isn't it? That's better than some of the rumors you're going to see on social media. All right. So he says this. I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayer. So what's Paul saying? I'm praying for you. I need you guys to pray for me and I will pray for you. That's what we do for one another. right? I'm going to pray for you guys. All right. And it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit. Now notice that. It doesn't have capital spirit there, does it? It says, give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. So, it is the capital S spirit that gives me a spirit of wisdom and knowledge. But that wisdom and knowledge is not just something that I lay in my bed at night and inhale while I sleep. Alright? I can't light a candle or burn some incense or get down on my knees and pray and 
and earn that Spirit. The Spirit of God always works through the Word of God. So how is He going to build my faith? How is He going to build my Spirit so that it can be more wise and understanding? Through the Word of God. And look what He says next. That God our Lord, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now watch what Paul prays. I pray that the eyes of your heart, we sing open the eyes of my heart, Lord, right? That's kind of where that comes from. The eyes of your heart may be lit up, enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of His calling. Remember, guys, if you're a believer in here, He did call you. He called you. Right? The hope of your calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance and the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the workings of His strength. Alright? So what is Paul praying? Paul is praying and saying, My prayer for you is that your eyes will be open to the beauty of God's Word. That His light and His life and His love and His truth will flood you, flood your heart and flood your mind and that you will know His Word so that you can have hope and you can have faith. So to finish up the group, I I really want you to think about this. Let's go back to the woman in the issue of blood. Her faith was in Jesus. And when Jesus said, your faith made you whole, it's the power of healing did not come from her. I've heard an illustration of, it's like a garden hose. Your faith is like a garden hose. And you go and you hook it up to the, to the spigot and you turn it on and you drink or you wash or you do whatever you water the lawn with it, whatever. But the point is this. You are not the source of the water. And your faith is not the source of the water. Your faith is the avenue that the water comes through. So she was not the source of her healing. And when he said your faith has made you whole, what he was saying was this. Your faith is in that which is true. And because it's established in truth, that has made you whole. So what really made her whole? Jesus and his truth. His power is God. And how do you and I tap into that? He is sitting on a throne in heaven. You are not able to reach out and touch His garment today. One day you will. One day you'll be able to fall on your knees and say, Holy is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation. One day you'll be able to touch the hem of His garment. But right now you can't. But in faith, you can open up His Word that He has given you. And it's just as powerful. Just as powerful. And just as true. So, make sure that you are getting your wisdom and your answers from His Word. And any time the world's wisdom conflicts with what His Word says, then the world is what's got to go. We live in a world today where our churches are consumed with emotionalism, and feelings. God's truth is not a feeling. God's truth is your source of life. God's truth is your hope for eternity. God's truth is your salvation, your justification, your glorification. 
God's Word is what will rescue from the curse of this world. And it's true, every bit of it. So let me read that passage one more time for you. If you want to turn there and look with me again, just as a reminder, 2 Timothy 3.16. Verse 16 and 17. All, all, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction. And it's profitable for training in righteousness so that you may be adequately equipped for every good work. This is your source. And when you focus on self, when you focus on circumstances, you are away from the source. When you focus on the creation you are away from the source. He's the creator. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. So stay in His Word. Amen? Amen. Alright, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank You for this time we've had together tonight. And I do pray, uh, I pray just as Paul prayed, I pray that You will help us and, and allow our eyes to be enlightened uh, to Your truth uh, so that we may be adequately equipped so that we may have your light flood our lives so that we can know you and trust you more so that we can have more faith so that we can have those good works to share with others so that we can glorify you with our life and our love and our our lives so thank you for all that you do especially jesus thank you for dying for us and thank you holy spirit for saving broken folks like us help us to walk in your truth your word is truth in christ's name we pray amen